to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lordanik. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Joining me is Angela Christian-Wilkes, Sam Lewis and Anna Harrington. And today we're bringing back the classics. We're going to be going through a regular kind of episode plus all the Olympic chat we know you want to listen to. So let's crack into some. You love to see it. Sam, do you want to kick us off? What did you love to see? I loved to see this week, not necessarily uh, something that Aussie fans will be paying much attention to, though we probably should, considering uh, in less than 20 days we are going to be starting an Olympic campaign, which will see us play this team. But I loved to see Tobin Heath return to the US women's national team with an absolute bang. Uh, She's been out for quite a long time with injury, but she made her return to the team Uh, against Mexico in their first of two friendly series in the lead up to the Olympics. And with her third touch of the game, she scored an absolute ripper of a goal uh, from probably 35, 40 yards out. So slightly terrifying considering we're going to be playing them in the last game of the group stage, but love seeing players who are absolute quality coming back from injury and, you know, just with the best possible start as well. So you love to see it. Neutral hat on. We love to see it. Angela, what did you love to see? So on theme for this podcast, um, I love to see Kote Roth pass Killett in the NPLW South Australia League. So she's playing for Salisbury Inter this year and she's currently leading the goal scoring charts, I don't ladder, table, that thing, um, with 10. Um, and she got two in their last game against Fulham, both wonderful goals. So um, the first one came in off the crossbar. She just turned around, whipped it in. Um, second one, very similar, dinked the keeper. Lovely stuff. And she also set up her Adelaide United teammate, Emily Condon, as well. So, yeah, she's really thriving. We love to see it. Cote Rojas, the, the winter of Cote Rojas continues. We absolutely love to see it. Harrow, what did you love to see? A bit dirty doing this. Sam and I have got two US Women's National Team highlights in the You Love to See It. So let's never repeat this, Sam. This is not what we're Agreed. about. Agreed. <laughs> But it's hard to go past this one. I think one of the stories of the Olympic selection was Christy Muis making the US roster the only player in that original 18 that hadn't played at the 2019 Women's World Cup. Obviously, come back from injuries, found her form, also has to literally and metaphorically live in the shadow of her younger sister, Sam, who is arguably the best midfielder in the world. So fantastic news and that she made the, the roster for the US Women's National Team alongside Sam Muis. And they really underlined it um, in the game against Mexico, Sam mentioned before, for the first goal, uh, Christy actually assisted Sam, who's dobbed the goal, and then they celebrated with a little chest bump. Like, real backyard soccer stuff. Um, sisters doing it for themselves, celebrating, uh, scoring, like going to the Olympics together. Like it's all just dream come true stuff, really. So the Mu eyes doing the thing. You love to see it. It's so wholesome. And in the kind of press conferences post-game, all the US media were saying that basically Sam texted Christy saying, if we score, we've got to do a chest bump. And that's what happened. So love that Sam's brain went there and was like, this is what we're going to do. This is, you know, we're going to we're going to do a chest bump on national television because why the heck not? Um, a couple of you love to see it from me. I have been commentating the MPLW Victoria down here and there have been some spectacular goals. And one of my favourites was Catherine Zimmerman scoring for Calder United against Bulleen this past weekend. Just a really beautiful goal, threaded the eye of the needle 
went straight past the diet in Gabby Garten and I said to these guys uh, pre-pod that it was buck on buck violence, which hurt, but it was a really, really good goal. So check it out. I'm pretty sure it's on the W League account at the moment, so you can check it out there. And just a little one that segues nicely into our next chat. KK is back on the bench, which is not an exciting thing unless, of course, you've been injured for like a year and you recently did your ACL. So stoked that she is back, she is fit, and obviously she is fit enough to be selected for the Olympics. So let's talk about the Olympic squad. We have all the players now. We know as well that recently um, the news was broken that there will be no alternate players. It's going to be a full squad of 20. So all of the alternate players that were selected are now able to be selected in uh, in the games. The match day squad will stay at 18, but those four players are completely able to be selected. So great news for them and just good news, I suppose, all round for players and coaches who have been pushing for this for ages. But in terms of the actual squad, we've got a few debutants, lots of returning players who will be going to their second Olympics. So let's talk about some initial impressions. Angela, what's your kind of first thoughts on the squad? Not not too surprising. Um, I was very happy to see Kyra Cooney cross. Kyra Cooney cross. Kyra Cooney cross. Um, so that was good. And she was sort of on the cusp. Like I thought she possibly could have been an alternate um, but really fantastic to see her in that initial 18 as well. But, yeah, pretty run-of-the-mill and definitely if you look at the squad without those, you know, pre-alternates being included in it, that news, um, can definitely see Tony's focus on attackers in there in attacking depth, and he's, he's spoken about that as well. So that's really exciting, I think, but also a little bit nerve-wracking because as we've covered the defensive holes that we've had over these... Um, with the last four friendlies, I don't know, maybe just a bit nervous. But on the other hand, Ivy Lewick and KK in there, two great number sixes. That that makes me feel a lot calmer, putting those two things together. Anyway, that was a little bit of a ramble. But, yeah, it's pretty run-of-the-mill, nothing too shocking. Um, I think some things, you know, some players will be disappointed, but I think it's one of those, like Betty Goad, for example, she didn't make the squad, but... I don't think it's the, the end of things for them. Tony seems very open to trying out new players and developing players as well. So while it would be disappointing in this moment, I don't, yeah, it's not one and done for sure. Anyway. Sam, what are your kind of initial takes on the squad? Yeah, I sort of agree with Angela. It's not hugely surprising. I don't think anyone is really shocked by this roster. Um, and that's probably a good thing. You know, my the piece that I wrote for the Guardian in reaction to the announcement was basically that like this team is entering into a really uncertain situation with this Olympics, N- not just because we don't know like what's going to happen in terms of bubbles or in terms of games potentially being moved because of outbreaks, but we also don't really know what's going to face us in terms of the opposition. New Zealand haven't played a friendly together for longer than we have. And we were one of the national teams at the Olympics who hadn't played for the longest time. We you know, had that friendly against Sweden. We don't know whether that was the Sweden team that we're going to be facing in the Olympic group. We don't know whether that was like their, them showing their hand. And the US women's national team have been a little bit up and down in the last couple of friendlies as well. They sort of scraped through a couple of results against Portugal and against Nigeria, but then they came out recently and went like put four past Mexico. So we don't really know what we're going to be facing. And I think the squad is 
the kind of squad that's put together as a as a, a sort of response to that. So we've got six debutants, but only two of those are under the age of 23, Mary Fowler and Cara Cooney-Cross. The three debutants who are over the age of 12, obviously the others are all over the age of 23, but the other Olympic debutants are players who have been around the Matildas for quite a long time. So we've got Emily Gilnick, we've got Hayley Rasso, and we've got Ivy Lewick. So they bring an immense amount of experience to this, even though they're only in coming into their first ever Olympic tournament. Um, and then we've got Tegan Micah as well, who like amazing. I'm so, so stoked for her. She had such a great game against Sweden. I think she absolutely deserves this call up. Um, but, you know, this is largely a team who have all played an Olympic tournament together. Every player who has been selected all went to the Women's World Cup. Some of them were, you know, uh, reserve players like Kai Simon and Kai Cooney-Cross, but they were all there. They were all in France together. They've all been in this environment before. They know what tournament football is like. And I think that experience and the fact that they are now five years older than what they were the first time they did this is going to come, you know, really, really in handy, particularly when it comes to the pointy end of the group stage where we may need to draw upon quite a lot of experience, particularly in the likes of a KK or a Williams or a Catley or, you know, some of those kinds of much more experienced players in order to get things over the line. So, yeah, I'm not surprised at all by this. And I'm actually like, I, I sort of feel like this squad is a bit of a comfort blanket for, for a lot of us, you know, there's been so much uncertainty and, and so much chopping and changing of things over the last um, couple of friendlies that we've played. This seems to be the the most the most solid um, group of players that I think Tony could have chosen. Tara, what are your thoughts on the squad? I'll give you my more in-depth thoughts in just a moment. But my first impression was like a little fist pump because <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my hey, god. The S fell off. Uh, oh, so right. Oh, I was right. I've had to restick that a couple of times, especially after we changed our, uh, our pod date. But uh, a big win. I think we need to outline what just happened. Because this is not listen. a visual medium. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to narrate this because uh, I-, uh, I just uh, turned around to show, taped onto the back of my shirt, uh, the carefully cut out letters. I was right. Um, because I thought Chloe Legazzo. Wouldn't be ruled out and we get to go and I was right. And it just, it throws back to Sam and my very fun little debate. Um, yeah, and just thought I'd take the moment to really enjoy it. And uh, yeah, as as humbly as possible. Um, <laughs> I know you said you had a plan for this, but I never in my wildest dreams could have imagined that this is how it would have turned out. Incredible. Oh. I'm actually impressed. I'm actually impressed that you went to these lengths, Tarot. It's amazing. Oh, uh, and I never liked cutting out and like cutting and pasting things. Arts and crafts. <laughs> Sam, know, know how much of an effort this really was. Uh, yeah. I'm happy that you got the letters the right way around as well. It's not on backwards. <laughs> I was sort of, I knew that I was going to be okay because I have this chair thing in the background. So I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, like onto my actual thoughts on the squad. Um, obviously delighted that Chloe Legazzo made it and Elise Callum Knight. Um, I think it sounds spot on, actually, like in the sense that it is a, a very comforting squad. Like you looked at it, even, even I think the initial A team, we sort of went, oh, is there one too many forwards, maybe one too few defenders? Like we saw Kaya Simon in, Laura Brock out, and then Brock um, obviously 
with Courtney Nevin and Charlie Grant in the uh, in the alternates. But when it looks like a full 22, it looks very balanced. Um, I don't think there's too many surprises in there. Um, I was really happy, like I said, to see Legazzo make it because in, in these squads and with so many tight games, you need versatility. I think we need someone else who can play that right wing back role or left wing back role, um, depending on what happens with Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter and how they're used. Um, I think everyone was just delighted to see that they're taking the gamble on KK. Like, because if you can get her involved, like, obviously there's her leadership and her presence in the squad, but just in case you can get her up and get her involved in these games, like, timeless. Like, she is just that sort of player. Um, yeah, there, there weren't too many shocks. I don't, like, looking at the reaction, like, normally you see pretty visceral reactions from fans on social media or from pundits or journalists, but I don't think too many people were displeased. Yeah, like, there might have been, oh, my favourite, I don't know, Alex Chidiak didn't make it or... Um, you mentioned Betty Goat, Angela, who can probably consider herself a, a tad unlucky having featured a fair bit in these last few friendlies. But as a general rule, I don't, I don't think there's too much to be uh, disappointed with. I think the fact that this news about the alternates becoming part of the squad has sort of lessened the harder hitting selection calls, like the, the Tegan Micah one, for example. Like we all said she was in our two to go to Tokyo. And she was picked as a second goalkeeper. And I think that regardless of if there's 22, that still says Mackenzie Arnold is the third choice goalkeeper for this tournament. But I think the blows of some of these have been lessened somewhat by the fact that these players are very much going to be involved. And I just loved seeing some of the stories. Like I know when I wrote the initial story on the squad, it was probably similar to you, Sam, that I let on the two team sensations making it like Mary Fowler, Kyra Cooney-Cross, Mary Fowler obviously didn't play a minute in the World Cup. Kara Cooney-Cross, after being a standby, it's her first major tournament. And then just the, the wonderful touch of Ivy Lewick potentially making her Olympics debut at 36 after making her World Cup debut at 34. Like, good stories, players who deserve it, um, a few players that they can take a little bit of a calculated gamble on. I, I think it's the, right, it's the right squad mix. And I think that's what we need for a tournament where we've had relatively limited build-up we know that there's going to be players coming to the fold ahead of the Asian Cup and ahead of 2023 but as you said Sam a squad that knows each other has been involved in camps together before plus a few others that have impressed um, in their time clearly in this transition camp and recent friendlies seems like the right combination. I think as well this is an important squad for Tony to pick because this is going to be Tony's first test you know, like he's sort of been given a bit of a, a bit of leeway for the first six months of this and with the friendlies because everything was just so up in the air. It was so difficult for him to do his job. Half of the squad he wanted to look at was on the other side of the world. Trying to organise stuff during a pandemic is just insane. And so the fact that they were able to get to, you know, the point of actually having friendlies and to choosing these kinds of squads was amazing in itself. But now come the Olympics, this is, I think, going to be the first time that a lot of media, a lot of fans are actually going to be looking at the Matildas through a more critical kind of lens. And so I think this is an important squad for Tony to have chosen because it's the kind of squad that he believes and that I think all of us believe um, are very dependable and can probably go the furthest. Like, I know that we say that they can go the furthest from a player perspective, but also from a coaching perspective, I think that's really important because he needs to start to prove now that he 
is the right person for the job. And this is, this is his first moment to do that. Um, he needs to be able to justify why he's there, why he's been chosen and hired as the Matildas head coach for the next couple of years. Um, and he has all this experience that he's been talking about. You know, he has won a gold medal in the old, hasn't won gold, but he's gone through an Olympic campaign. He's won World Cups. You know, all of this stuff is now going to be coming to the fore. And I think it's going to be interesting the ways in which he makes decisions when the team is actually in in the in the middle of it in this pressure cooker thing as he likes to say um and the way that he responds to various unexpected setbacks as well the kinds of strategic decisions and player decisions that he makes if for example a Steph Catley goes down or you know x y and z um but what I wanted to mention as well in terms of KK like even though she hadn't played a minute similar to Legazzo she still does bring some really important qualities to this side. And, and Tony was asked in the press conference after the announcement of the, of the squad um, why she was chosen. And I just wanted to read out the transcript of his answer because I think it's it speaks a lot to the whole purpose of these friendlies and why, you know, what he's really looking for when it comes to players um, like this for these kinds of moments. So he said, uh, part of the process, I've been lucky to be able to see KK in training environments. I've seen her in her club in Stockholm and watching her in training. I was also fortunate enough to bring her into the June camp. So he saw her during those training sessions as well. I made a decision based on where she's at and I'm certain she'll be ready come the Olympics, just in terms of her fitness. But she also has spent a lot of time outside of the pitch. Will she be ready for 90 minutes back to back? Probably not. But with her experience and the type of player she is, I value her qualities a lot to be part of this roster. She can play multiple positions and she has an experience that means if she steps into a pressure cooker for 20 minutes in any game and in any position, I know that she can deliver because she's also very mentally strong. So, you know, KK, having gone through the kinds of injuries that she's gone through, to be able to get back to this point is in itself quite extraordinary. And I think that, that those are kinds of, that, that's the character and those are the mental strengths and qualities that you would want to have as part of a team like this as well, particularly to help some of the younger players or the players who are new to this, these kinds of um, tournament environments as well. Sam, I think it ties in perfectly to what we saw in the later stages of um of the World Cup as well, where KK was coming off that calf and initially just because of loading plus other injuries, plus Steph Catley going to centre-back, had to play at left-back and was very important in in the miracle of Montpellier. Played a lot of game time, obviously couldn't play in a natural spot, but both her and Chloe Legazzo are players that you can plug and play and you know what you're going to get. Very different, know what you're going to get. Like KK is that classy leader, um, as you say, Sam, only needs sort of 20 minutes in a pressure cooker environment to really make an impact. And what Legazzo brings in a different sense is that intensity, that grit gets in, into every challenge, can pinch goals out of nowhere. To be fair, so did KK, Olympico. Um, but these are players that you know that when the big games come, they're going to be ready to step up. And sometimes that's what you need. Like you need players with that experience. It sort of, it feels like they've, really drawn on what the everything they can get out of these friendlies and this transition camp seems to have been really beneficial as well Sam just in terms of what you were saying Charlie Grant I don't think played a minute in any of the friendlies but she's been brought in initially as an alternate so she's clearly impressed in training Courtney Nevin Laura Brock Mackenzie Arnold we mentioned these players as the other alternates all also are going to get a look in now but yeah it's it's super exciting I think just in terms of 
getting a chance to really go out there and prove something. And I think the other thing in terms of external media touching on your point there, Sam, is Tony's still not got a win as Matilda's coach. And until they get that monkey off the back, it's going to be the step that a lot of people will turn to. Obviously got the draw against Sweden, a result. We talked about how important that was and the confidence they would have got. But if they can snag a win in that warm-up game against Japan, I think that'd be huge heading into the first game against New Zealand where we're clearly expected to be the outright favourites, should do the job there. They've not really played together at all and certainly not in any competitive sense, genuine competitive sense. But if they can get a win against Japan, I think that'll be really important. And I think having this squad just settled and knowing the qualities, knowing what we're going to get, having players where you know what you're going to get is really important heading into this sort of crunch time. Because as you say, Sam, it's, now is the chance where you start needing to get the runs on the board, the big tournaments. This is what you sign up for these jobs for. So, but yeah, I don't think anyone will be more acutely aware of that than Tony. <laughs> Any final takes on the squad? I just want to say that we was all right with the, the Maka thing. We were all yes, right. so we yes. all have that. <laughs> Angela, who was right about Kaya Simon being in. Yes, I, another good one. She wasn't quite myself. She's a bit more humble than yours truly about it. But <laughs> a little bit. Um, <laughs> we have fun though, don't we? Um, it's uh, but just one more time. How exciting is it to see uh, Mary Fowler and Kaya Cooney Cross in this squad? Like. I think they were two of the breaths of fresh air that we saw in the most recent window. I think Fowler sort of was a bit patchy in those um, opening two games. But to be fair, the whole team was bad. We lost 5-2 and 5-0. But scoring her first goal, we saw Kyra make her debut and then really impress as a starter in her second game against Sweden in a different role to what we've seen her play in the W League. I just, I think this is exactly what we needed to see was some future players of the Matildas step up and make their mark. And I think we were all in pretty much agreement that we wanted to see them make the squad. Like, I don't think this is any sort of Hail Mary by, um, by Tony and Malandretta. I think these players have earned it and they've, they've shown that they belong. And I think we'll get a really exciting glimpse of what they can do on the big stage. And I think, I think that's what we needed. I think we needed to see some fresh faces do that because realistically Ellie Carpenter is probably the only one that's done it for a while we saw a little bit of Carly Rossbacken who is worth mentioning horrendously timed injury has probably ruled her out at her shot at this Olympic Games but I think we really needed two young players to provide a little bit of a spark and a flash of something different and that that really excited me about this squad. I'm so excited for Cara Cooney Cross like she is because we've watched her right we've watched her for years and we and particularly this most recent w league season we have seen how quickly she can improve and i think as you mentioned harry in just in the two brief glimpses that we got of her at matilda's level in those friendlies we saw her have flashes same as mary fowler in those first couple of games as well she had flashes of absolute joy and and brilliance and like these are still the young players they're 18 and 19 and like I just feel like if they get given a serious crack over that like some consistent minutes over the course of these Olympic uh, group games there is going to be a moment where one of them does something absolutely incredible 
You know what I mean? Like, because we, they've they've shown us that they can do that already. Mary Fowler's goal is probably a really good example of that. But I feel like Kyra has something more that she's going to show us not, at not some point. Not the challenge. Point. Not the challenge, Sam. Not the challenge. <laughs> so slightly. And taking out the play of four Fowler. <laughs> I'm happy to mention this challenge every time we talk about Kyra Cooney Cross. It's second only to the Olympico. I, like I have the image in my head as well of, of, the, of the, the reverse angle of the goal and you just see her coming and taking the ankles of the defender. It's like, you know, when your dog's like at the park and there's a puddle and they're running and then they don't realise and they just go... <laughs> I'm Side just, note. yeah, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so, so excited for the two of them. And I'm also really excited for Tegan Micah. Mm. You know, like she, I don't think she could have had a better debut than what she did against Sweden, but she's also the kind of player that I think can has so much more room to grow she can she sort of reminds me physically in terms of her reactions in terms of the way that she reads the game in terms of her commanding presence she reminds me quite a lot of um Christiana Endler Chilean goalkeeper who's just moved from PSG to Lyon she's not as tall Tiana's massive not as tall doesn't have as big (laughs) of a wingspan but she just seems to have that thing about her that you can trust and that you know Mm. when it comes to those split second moments you reckon that she's going to be able to pull off something quite miraculous and I'm so I'm really looking forward to seeing these three players in particular step up to those challenges and to respond to those moments in the ways that we all believe that they can but maybe it's just a matter of them needing to believe that they can as well I think it's actually, when you look at it, it's probably actually a good thing that this these four alternates have been added in in terms of our goalkeeper situation. Because all of a sudden you get Mackenzie Arnold at, oh, into the sniff, but I'm the third. She would know she's the third goalkeeper here right now. It's good for Lydia Williams. It's good for Tegan Micah. And it'll be good for Mackenzie Arnold after I think that would have been awful disappointment that, you know, it can make, sometimes it gives players the drive that they need to, to go on better. I think Tegan Micah, as you said, Sam, she absolutely deserved to be the second goalkeeper in that 18. And um, I think there's a good chance we may not see her because we may well have Lydia Williams in goal that whole time, but there's every chance that she could play and that'd be fantastic. The other little side-eyes thing on Kyra Cooney-Cross was I saw that she is signed with um, CAA Base the Agency in Europe, which made me go, Kyra got a club move coming up. Um Stocks are only going to rise and rise and rise. So I think that's super exciting. It may be also worth just touching on a few of the names that missed out. Um, Amy Harrison, Alex Chidiak, both didn't get a minute in um, in camp. Obviously, Caitlin Cooper as well. Um, clearly, all would have played a role in camp, but not able to get over the line. Which I, I personally wasn't surprised by anyone that didn't make it. Was anyone here surprised? Not really. I mean, I think maybe the only surprise to me would have been Beatty Goad, which was mentioned Mm. earlier, because I thought that she was quite impressive and she stepped up in that very unexpected moment when she was thrown on um, in the first friendly. Uh, I I think also because she's quite a versatile player, she can play as a winger, she can play as a fullback, she can play as a midfielder. I thought maybe that would have helped to get her over the line, um, particularly maybe over a player like Nevin or Grant, but... Again, we haven't seen those players really in training. Courtney Nevin is obviously on the radar of a lot of um, different levels of the national team, as well as Charlotte Grant. And Grant is, if we're thinking about like-for-like replacements for both Catley and Carpenter, Charlotte Grant is probably the, the most naturally gifted in that sense because she can she has the motor, she can do the up and down, she can do the kind of wing-back role that both of those players are known for. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't, if I were to just like speculate of to any kinds of players, I'm disappointed not to see there. BD Go would probably be there, but I completely understand why she's not, you know. Yeah, I agree with you completely there, Sam. I think Charlotte Grant was probably the only surprise, but when you look at it, you go, makes sense positionally. Uh, and initially, it's, I guess, when you look at it, they were alternates. Clearly, you look at, is Steph Catley going to be able to play this and that? Is, does KK get up? How's Alana Kennedy's fitness? These sorts of things. But... Yeah, now it's a 22. You're like, oh, so much defensive depth. Stop it. Um, <laughs> sort of allayed probably my initial fears and reactions around the initial squad to an extent. The other thing as well is I'm curious whether this 22, like this extended 22 squad um, is going to be made permanent because like 18 <laughs> players for a tournament that is this condensed is so dangerous, particularly coming off the kind of topsy-turvy seasons and various loads and various injuries that all these players have had to be dealing with coming into this. I don't know. It, Marissa just sort of gestured that it's probably not <laughs> going to become a permanent thing. It's just a coronavirus-inspired um, decision. But, you know, I feel like after perhaps players experience what it's like to go through an Olympic campaign with more, you know, players in their squad, meaning that their bodies aren't under nearly as much pressure as they would usually be, Injuries are perhaps going to be prevented as well. You know, coming out the back of that, I wonder if there's going to be a little bit more conversation about whether or not this should be a more permanent move because, you know, bringing it in line with the World Cup makes sense to me. And the Olympics is a, it's a shorter format as well. It's more condensed. There's more games, a lot more, lot more sort of pressure on it as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Be curious to see. I... players were breaking down in 2016 with 18 player squads and that wasn't COVID. Steph Catley yeah. basically looked like she fell apart. Like, yeah, exactly. It was happening then. I imagine it's been happening for years. Like it, I agree, Sam, it just seems like a logical move. Like, And what's the point in having four players that have to get on the plane and not really feel like part of the experience when you can just say, all right, you got your 22, you get injuries. Right, and that's up. the other thing because I, I, right. I was trying to understand what the justification was for the 18-player squad limit. And the only thing I can think of is cost. But the they're four alternates anyway. are going to be there anyway. Like they're already they're already being housed. They're already being fed. Like they're already there. Just let them have a go. And like I don't like the idea of, I imagine it would have happened in the past for various national teams. Maybe you have to gamble and rather than, like you have to go, oh, well, are we going to rule, are we going to rule player X out of the tournament because we need an alternate in and it might be a, a week and a half, a week injury, but can we risk it? Like, it's like now it actually lets you manage your squad rather than having to maybe gamble on fitness, which could, for some players, uh, some players it could lead to, you know, more serious injuries, but it could also see a player just miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Like it's, it makes far more sense to just have the 22. They all get to be Olympians. And I, yeah, it's, it's hard to see it as anything but a positive when you look at it in terms of player welfare and yeah, yeah, those sorts of things. It should be like these tournaments should be like a metaphorical survival of the fittest, not a physical, literal survival of the fittest. It shouldn't be like the team that gets to the end of the tournament is just the team that has the fewest injuries. It's like they're dragging their, their bloody bruised bodies over the over the end line. You know, that shouldn't be it. They should actually have an opportunity to be a serious squad, to make serious strategic decisions, not based on just who's left, you know. It's not a sneaky boot. Maybe, you know, boots. maybe the International <laughs> Olympic Committee, they haven't been, they haven't made a lot of really good decisions recently, you know. It's like a retrospective boot, Sam. It's like for <laughs> all of the tournaments, <laughs> you've got them through this 18 player mess. 
we won't give you credit for this. We'll just say, why didn't you do it earlier? Well, Hold them to um, account, Sam. Keep them honest. Um, Asif Burhan, who works for Forbes, had the article about um, the squad being expanded and a FIFA spokesperson basically said, the IOC has also remarked that this is an exception for the Tokyo 2020 Games and does not create a precedent for future Olympic Games. So they're, they're very much sticking to their guns with the 18. I would also like to know how they landed on the number 18 because it seems very arbitrary. But if you know, please let us know. But, um, yeah, it... It makes a lot of sense, but not to the IOC, apparently. So, yeah, we kind of had a retrospective boot, but now we're going to have another boot. We don't talk about men's football a lot, unless, of course, it's because they've annoyed us. So this kind of fits into that category. Angela, we're going to do a boot. We haven't done a boot in a while, and it's all yours. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard about this happening already. Um, but basically, we're booting, booting UEFA this week for basically trying to Hannah Montana their way into having the best of both worlds and being like, yes, we support the gays, but no, it's not political. And I really don't fucking like that. Um, anyway, just so the context. Um, the city of Munich wanted to illuminate the, the stadium where Germany and Hungary were going to be playing. Um, and then UEFA were like, no, you can't do that because it contravenes us being a apolitical and neutral organisation. But the real kicker is that UEFA have, you know, leaned into this whole Pride Month thing and put rainbows on their logo and that sort of thing, but then said, like, responded, also responded to that and said that it wasn't a political decision. It's all very confusing and annoying. And um, the mayor of Munich also has given them a hefty boot as well. So I feel like, yeah, check that out. He's, he's not happy. Not a happy guy. Um, but, yeah, it's just frustrating. It's basically, putting the rainbow flag on stuff is you sending a message as an organisation to the LGBTQIA community. Well, in my eyes, anyway, that this is a safe space, that you're welcome here, that we will support you. Um, and then you turn around and you know, stifle the efforts of an organisation and a, a city council trying to do that exact same thing. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Very frustrating. Um, and in my opinion, it's it's sort of just like if you don't want to um, be supportive of, like, pride, then just don't sort of be half in, half out. Just make a decision that aligns with your actual values as an organisation. Does that make sense? Anyway, it's, it's a bit frustrating. Pretty, yeah, actually very frustrating. But very cute. On the other hand, a lot of stadiums and businesses in Munich and Germany were like, you know what? You can't light up this stadium. We'll light up our buildings and our stadiums. And there was a lot of beautiful displays there. But, um, yeah, just disappointing. And also the mayor ripped into DFB for basically keeping quiet and not standing up for Munich City Council. Anyway, Sam. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to mention that as well as the, the response from basically everyone else in football to UEFA's very backwards mental gymnastics kind of justification by saying this extremely political thing that we're doing is actually not political. It's almost like they've been red-pilled by those people on Twitter who say, keep politics out of football. It's like football is political. Football is political because people are political, because culture is political. That is why this matters. And so UEFA trying to like distance themselves from that is just so transparent. And it's so obvious that the reason that they did it is because they don't want to piss off Hungary. 
they don't want to piss off the ironically the politics of UEFA and of FIFA and of all of the voting and all the sort of shit that happens behind the scenes but the thing that I loved was seeing the way that the football community responded. So you saw all the other stadiums around Germany lighting up. You saw all the stadiums being used largely in the men's Euros across the rest of Europe lighting up. You saw the captains of a lot of the national teams wearing rainbow armbands. And like in the England-Germany game, for example, both Harry Kane and uh, Manuel Neuer both wore captain's armbands that were rainbows. And Another really fabulous thing is the online responses as well. So, for example, there was a, a really lovely uh, tweet by a person named Joe who rocked up to the England-Germany game um, for the first time ever in full makeup. They tweeted a photo of themselves saying it was the first time they had, had presented themselves as overtly queer at, at a football game. They were really, really nervous going to it, but they had absolutely no issues. They had just what some really fabulous chats with fans. They, they felt really safe. And that tweet was picked up by the likes of Jordan Henderson, by the likes of the England national team, and like tweeted out and retweeted and went viral. And it was just lovely, you know? So like that's that's sort of the silver lining, I think, to this whole thing is UEFA. They've almost done the sort of bar, like Barbara Streisand effect of like by pointing to this thing, they've actually drawn attention to how shitty the thing is that they've done. And everyone else has just like rallied around the community and been like, you know what, actually UEFA is wrong. You're all welcome here. You know, fuck those guys basically. So a boot sort of transforming into a how good, you know, good on, good on football. It's like, Sam, and when you mention that, it's worth noting that all this was happening as there's the sort of undercurrent of like rumours and murmurs that UEFA were talking about moving the final from Wembley mm. to Budapest, like, and all this talk about we're going to do this, you know, because of restrictions and how, whether all these officials could uh, get a certain status to get in, like just all this really cynical stuff. And I think everyone just looked at it and went, there's a lot of pandering happening here and we're having none of it. And yeah, the, the response I think was probably one of the, if not the best we've seen in, in men's football, like in terms of players, football, like national bodies getting behind something like this and saying, you know, no, we're not, we're not just going to cop it. We're going to actually, you know, step up and hit back. Fantastic. And I think it's, um, yeah, a real shining light on what has already been a super exciting tournament. Um, because so often you see this sort of stuff just detract from the really good football. Um, for it to turn into one of the highlights of the tournament has been, um, yeah, as you say, Sam, a boot turned into a how good. Um, I forgot to mention as well the original context was that, um, so in Hungary there have been laws passed that ban gay people from featuring in school educational materials or TV shows for under 18. So the, the lit up stadium is in the context of that and Hungary playing there. Um, and basically in, in protest and saying, you know, giving a boot to those laws that have been passed. Um, so the thing with Manuel Neuer's armband is that UEFA did an investigation into that and then they were like, oh, that's not political. And I'm like, America, please explain. Like, what is going on here? It, it just doesn't really make any sense. And also there was a really cool... Um, person who streaked with a rainbow flag. They weren't, they weren't in the nutty, but they did have a rainbow flag. And the photos of that were really beautiful as well. And I think it's, yeah, as you said, Anna, it's fantastic to see, you know, clubs and organisations standing up to the big dog in this context and backing, um, yeah, the LGBTQIA community in. 
um, because yeah, sometimes it, you know pandering happens, and the easy way out is to just ignore it and to to not make that conscious effort to show up. So yeah, that's that's all been it's been really nice. In essence, UEFA, you cannot be a pick and choose ally. So get it together, big boost. Ah! But let's move into some how goods because how goods are good. <laughs> Anyway, some quick signing how goods before we get into more of the funner how goods. Uh, Perth continue to make W League signings. Bless you, Perth. They've signed Jim McCrane, Kim Carroll's come back from Brisbane, and Susan Pongsongham has signed over from Western Sydney. So we love what you're doing, Perth. Keep it going. And today, while well, just before recording, we found out Ella Mastro Antonio has signed for Lazio. So good to see that she's sticking around in Europe. Can't wait to see what she does over in Italy. But, um, Let's get into some other how goods. Sam, do you want to kick us off with a how good? I will kick off the how goods with perhaps the biggest how good in the concept of women's football broadcasting. So in the last couple of days, it was announced that the UEFA Women's Champions League will now be shown for free on YouTube uh, in partnership with uh, DAZN, DAZN, I think it's how it's pronounced, uh, for the next four seasons, which is just Amazing. There has never been a broadcast deal like this in the women's game. It is the the absolute essence of everything that we talk about when we talk about what is needed for women's football, visibility and accessibility that like the, the whole promotional campaign that, that was, uh, there was a fabulous video that we'll, we'll retweet um, after this pod, this episode is released, which talks about how we all rise with, with all eyes, basically. So the more accessible, the more visible women's football is, the, the more it will grow. The more people will be attracted to it, the more sponsors will be attracted to it, more money, more fans, more, just more everything as a result of this this one decision by this one organization to say, you know what, we're going to make this as accessible as possible. And so the next four seasons, UEFA Women's Champions League, almost the entire tournament, I think from starting from maybe the earlier group stages is going to be shown for free um, to almost every country in the world, I think outside of perhaps Africa and one other confederation, I'm not sure. Um, and I think maybe when it gets to the second year, uh, there are going to start to be limits um, and, and DAZN are going to come in and, and start to ask for subscriptions and things like that, which, like, fair enough. But this is the kind of move where it's a, a broadcaster coming to the, to the game and saying, you know what, we believe in this. We believe that this is going to grow. We're going to lay the foundations now. We're going to make this as visible as possible. We're going to give everyone, every sponsor, every fan the opportunity to come to this space, to invest your money, to invest your time, to grow the game to the point where we can then start to receive our own returns on it. This is the kind of thing that we've wanted from every organisation, not just broadcasters, but clubs and leagues and other kinds of competitions around the world to be doing things like this because they're like this kind of broadcasting um, agreement signals, I think, to the rest of the world that if someone as big as DAZN and YouTube can come to women's football and make the kinds of decisions like this that are going to pay off in the long term, other people can do it as well. Other organisations can do it as well. So I really, really hope that, you know, this is just the the sort of the latest in a a sort of a larger string of broadcasting decisions in women's football, particularly in the United States and in uh, in the UK. Hopefully this is just another 
um, addition to the, the larger snowball that is really starting to gather steam. And we're going to see hopefully some much bigger knock-on effects across the rest of the world in terms of broadcasting as well. And I guess that sort of links back into, you know, the, the situation that we have in Australia with Paramount Plus um, coming to, to W League and also now being the, the broadcaster um, of national teams, which is really exciting, Optus Sport picking up the broadcast rights for the Women's World Cup and hopefully having a free-to-air element there. So, like, stuff is happening when it comes to this particular area of the women's game, and it is so, so exciting. So... UWCL free on YouTube for the next couple of years. How fucking good. And there goes our clean rating. Angela, how good from you? Yes. So on brand, again, Michelle Heyman getting the Julie Dolan Award. How bloody good. <laughs> Heyman watches bag, maybe. Anyway. Um, it never so, yeah. left. It never, never left. Yeah, true. <laughs> so, yeah, fantastic. I don't know, just congrats to Michelle. So she had a, a killer season with Canberra United. Um, the Julie Dolan Award is, I will just read off the website so I don't mess this up, is awarded based on votes from a panel of technical football experts and media representatives appointed by the APL as well as match officials all on a 3 one basis. So basically it's an accolade that comes across from a wide range, wide range of areas um, and it's a testament to that player's performance. And, yeah, it's just really fantastic to see Michelle Heyman be awarded it. I think in the context of what this season was for her, um, it being a comeback pretty much and her coming back from you know, not really enjoying football and coming, you know, dealing with injuries and that sort of thing to having a, a fantastic season where she led on the field, scored heaps of goals and, yeah, just really stood out for that that Canberra United team. So how good Julie Dolan Award for Michelle Heyman? Double thumbs up. Worth also mentioning, I think, some of the other award winners as well from uh, from the Dolan Warrens. So we had Tegan Micah, one goalkeeper of the of the year, which was really fabulous. And I think we all probably agree with that. She had a, a fantastic season with Melbourne City, even though City themselves didn't do particularly well. Uh, Young Player of the Year, obviously, it was going to be Kara Cooney Cross. Who else? Um, and Jeff uh, Jeff Hawkins winning coach of the year as well fabulous to see to see him do that and I think that leads into a, another how good uh, Marissa it does lead into another how good and also just quickly Lisa Devanna goal of the season the one against Melbourne City you know the one against Melbourne City I don't have to describe it to you how very very good but no it's big news for Jeff it's been a big week for Jeff after winning a record third coach of the year award he signed a two-year contract extension so he will be at the VUC for another two years and I think all VUC fans are very very happy with that news so congrats to Jeff on just an excellent week and how bloody good oh I was just gonna say that also Kara Cooney Cross getting into the Olympic squad I feel like that achievement can be put somewhat down to Jeff and his investment in her as a player and development of her over the years. So I think that's part of his, you know, achievement audit this week as well. Just all the kudos for Jeff. And second in the in the Dolan Warren as well, equal second with Emily Gilnick. It's a bit, big week for the buck. Just huge areas for the buck. Anyway, Harrow, how good? Yeah, it kind of lines up with Sam's one from before, but Chelsea obviously coming off the back of winning FAWSL and all their other trophies, making the Champions League final, have announced that they've sold out of season tickets for next season, which is huge. It's the first time they've done it. But I think there's an extra special element to it in the fact that um, we've seen, as with the Euros, you're starting to get fans back in the stands in the UK. And I think 
that will be super exciting, especially for players like Sam Kerr, who really feed off having the crowd behind them. Hasn't been able to do that. Like this team's managed to do so much, but I imagine it adds extra value um, when you've got the crowd there behind you and there's the pressure. I guess there's having the support of the crowd behind you, but there's also the pressure. And I think having fans in the stands is such an integral part of football. So for Chelsea to have sold out their season tickets is is fantastic. Um, firstly, just because of just a bit of symbolism, like you want them to be doing this, it's a great step for the women's game. But I think also the prospect of what that actually means in a literal physical sense of having packed stands back um, in the FAWSL next season, um, super exciting and something to look forward to. So yeah, Chelsea's selling out the season tickets for next season. How good? So, so good. Anyway, that's been a, a good episode from us, if I do say so myself. You can find us on espn.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you find podcasts, really. If you like what we do, subscribe so you can get them all straight into your podcast feed. And if you really, really like it, you can leave a review. Um, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. So if you want to get in contact with us, have a little chit chat. We're there. We loved all your thoughts and feelings on the Olympic squad. So I'm sure we'll be chatting about the upcoming Japan friendly. So we'll talk about that then. But until next time, players. <laughs>